0: What are the boys watching next door? Uh, They are being kept quiet with Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds, the the movie or the original TV show? No,
1: the new TV show. Oh, there's a new TV show? The one without strings attached. Oh, right, I see. Plus, uh, Rosamund Pike is the voice of Lady Penelope, so there's something in it for the dads as well. Oh, right.
0: (laughs) That is like a perfect Disney movie. (laughs) Something in it for all the family. Uh, Fridays are fun, aren't they? This is what happens on a Friday.
1: Are you not feeling guilty about we, being two days late?
0: What, what What would normally happen for you on a Friday is that you would say, I'm not speaking to anybody else in the entire world because I'm prepping for a weekend game. Well, as it happens, you have no weekend game, there are no weekend games, and so we can spend uh, a Friday doing things that we normally do earlier in the week. Yes,
1: t- 10 months of the year, this is my busiest day of the week, and I <laughs> seclude myself away from the, uh, the outside world, but been poodling around. I even had time to pick you up from the train station. Yes, thank you very much indeed. But
0: bearing in mind the absence of of two of our party, I would imagine that Friday's is still busy for two of our party and just not for me and you.
1: Yeah, our, our excuse for being late this week is that all four of us have been in four different cities across Europe for the duration of the last fortnight or so. Tragically for you and I, our cities are still in the UK. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's very easy for us to rejoin uh, in one city. This is Set Piece Moody, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. First of all, your patience has been appreciated. We've been a day late before, but two days? This is madness. So we thank you for your understanding that will doubtless be unrewarded by what is to follow. I am Hugh Ferris, and joining me is Stephen Wyeth now, and also someone else later, someone who will be revealed also later. Uh, I have brought food with me.
1: Yes, because this is the first time that uh, we've seen each other in the flesh since your trip to Boston? So, I uh,
0: was lucky enough to spend a few days away with my wife in Boston. And, uh, you know, bearing in mind that all the food that is famous in Boston is not really transferable over land or sea uh, because it's shellfish based. So, first of all, if it had been in the vicinity of my wife for any length of time, it would have been catastrophic uh, because she is allergic. And also, I'm not entirely sure it would have lasted. A lobster roll with hot butter poured on it would not be something that you would expect to have in transit at
1: all. Yeah, I, th- I don't think you could get through the nothing to declare aisle all <laughs> that comfortably holding a lobster roll.
0: I have an allergy to declare and also the food that is providing that allergy. Uh, so I have brought um, something that is a result of the latest trip to an airport duty-free shop because that's also very culturally appropriate. Some Hershey cookie and cream
1: bars. So hang on, you waited until you got to the airport to buy these.
0: Yes, don't I always? <laughs> so just to fill you in, Rory, who is on a world Cup Detox a brief one and Andy who is commentating on the under 21 uh, European Championship uh, they are both clearly missing out on what is Incredibly special. It's got a little bit of cookies in. a Little bit of cookies in and cream in the chocolate. Yeah, the
1: the, the, the two the, the two that you've bought back for them are not going to last. The fact that my children are both in the house at present. <laughs>
0: Why did you think I asked where they were? They are safely <laughs> ensconced next door. They will not be touching the chocolate. You can get in touch with the podcast at Set Menu, setpiecemenu, Menu, at gmail.com and on Facebook as well. Just search for Setpiece Menu. The other two will be returning. Do not fret. Now, if you had any doubt about whether we live our lives in a rarefied, celebrity-filled world, then doubt no longer. Because A, I spent earlier today at least an hour with both Tom Holland and Jake Gyllenhaal, which, you know, was nice for them.
1: So hang on. So you spent your day with the third best Spider-Man and the second best Gyllenhaal?
0: Uh, that's your opinion. Obviously, I think that it's the best Spider-Man and the best Gyllenhaal. And also earlier this week, uh, I wrote a question for an interview with Tom Hanks. ...about Aston Villa. It was very well informed. It was, Aston Villa have been promoted. How do you think they'll do? And that went uh, to Tom Hanks and was broadcast... ...courtesy of Zoe Ball and the Radio 2 Breakfast Show on Tuesday.
1: Did you get some... Was, was Hanks in the building? <laughs> no,
0: of course oh. not. I would have led with that if that's what uh, was actually happening. Not only have I spent uh, some time... ...one handshake... 20 seconds tops uh, with those gentlemen. Uh, Also, Stephen and I have both recently been invited to a movie screening.
1: Whoa, more than just a movie screening.
0: Well, yes, it was either as one of just two people in the cinema at 9.30 in the morning. That was my experience. Or, for Steve, a glamorous evening showing with refreshments and pre- and post-film presentations. It was
1: a preview screening. It was available to the upper echelons of society Ahead of the rank okay, and file. You're making it way worse. <laughs> we had
0: the tremendous opportunity to see the new documentary by the man who made Senna and Amy, Asif Kapadia. It's called Diego Maradona, and it charts the rise and fall of a football legend.
1: That's the time when everything starts to go wrong for him in Italy. That's the time when they say, okay, enough is enough. Italy turns on him. The protection he had collapses. He's no longer protected against the press, the judicial authorities, the tax authorities. The backlash is nasty. So that's
0: just a little taster of what you might expect from the movie Diego Maradona, which incidentally has Diego Maradona in it, but he speaks Spanish and therefore... Us playing out a clip of him speaking Spanish might not necessarily have been useful for our entire audience, but they are moments of great drama when he speaks uh, to Asif Kapadia and his film crew.
1: It's a stunning film, isn't it? It is absolutely captivating. The the use of archive, bearing in mind we live in an era now where we have football available to us 24-7 and via social media we feel even closer to our iconic footballers than we ever have been before to almost take a a step back in time to the 1980s which isn't that long ago but in footballing terms is feels like generations ago doesn't it and to relive the experiences of a footballing icon in an era where his day-to-day lifestyle and his day-to-day behaviours were not transmitted around the globe was was quite extraordinary it is it really does captivate you. It's absorbing and it's utterly, utterly fascinating.
0: It is fascinating. I, I, I really enjoyed it too. Uh, you wouldn't be surprised to hear. Um, this is not a balanced movie review. <laughs> this is essentially us just gushing about it. But it's, it's funny to see um, pictures of Diego Maradona with this archive footage that has been unearthed. of Seeing him being mobbed. This footage is taken almost exclusively about six inches from his face because that was where the cameraman was. Completely in- enclosed by hundreds, sometimes thousands of people, barely allowing Diego Maradona during his time uh, in Naples, which the film focuses on, barely being able to take a step without being hounded by the fans who took him to their hearts, as you'll see in the movie if you watch it. And of course, talking about being mobbed, there is that presence too of how he gets into bed with the mob during that uh, period in Naples and how important that was to him and how important it was indeed uh, to his eventual undoing. It's a great movie. Of course we would tell you to go and watch it. It is out right now. And Steve and I have been speaking to Asif Kapadia about the film. And he started by telling us how he came across the hours and hours of footage that we see in this movie for the very first time.
2: So the way um, I came across the footage was because one of the producers, Paul Martin, had, had been aware that this material was out there. And he, he got in touch with me and it was after I'd made Senna, it was around the time of the London Olympics, 2012, sent me an email out of the blue saying, I, I hear you're a football fan. Would you be interested um, in maybe looking at, you know, this potentially there's this material out there about Diego Maradona. So we met up in a, in a cafe near and livington tube and um, had a chat. And I, at the time he, he told me about it. And I think he sent me a link, which had a little bit of Diego training, a little bit of him kind of dancing and it, it, just a few things. And, The funny thing is, is a lot of this is always about timing. I had just come off the back of making this film about a Brazilian sporting icon, and I just wasn't ready to go straight into the Argentinian sporting icon. (laughs) Um, So I I kind of said, I just don't think the timing quite right. But we stayed in touch. um, Kind of time went on. I did a few other things. He did a few other things. I made Amy. And then my producer of... Senna and Amy, I put in contact with Paul and they went off to investigate this material and by now we kind of leap forward to say 2015 and they go to um, somewhere between Naples, an hour outside of Naples um, there's a cameraman who has, from Argentina who's got these, this old format called pneumatic, I don't know if you've ever heard of this format but it's like um, Slightly better than VHS, not as good as Betacam, which is like around the time what television started to go into. Mm. And he had a whole kind of like room full of tapes that he shot of Diego Maradona when Diego Maradona was just getting into becoming kind of internationally known. He it was around the time when he was going to go from Boca to Barcelona, and then they followed him all the way through Barcelona, and they followed him to Naples. And they stuck around from nearly half of Naples the first kind of two or three years before they got hit. Um, and probably were <laughs> not paid, which is why they ran off with the tapes. And the reason it came about is a guy called Jorge Sister Steeler. Now, don't know have you either of you ever heard of this guy, Jorge no. Sister Spieler?
0: No, no, new name for me.
2: He is really interesting and very important in the in the world football kind of scene because he is probably the first super agent. He's the guy who discovered Diego Maradona when he was a kid. They were both young at the same time, slightly more middle-class, slightly more educated, had, a, had a, an illness, so therefore he couldn't play. So Maradona was the player, and from the street, and Jorge was slightly more educated and became his advisor. And they grew up together. He did the deal to get Maradona to Boca. Jorge thinks, this guy's a global superstar. I'm going to make a future film of that in. So he hires two Argentinian cameramen to start filming it to Barcelona and continuing on to Naples. So he does the biggest deal in the world ever to get him to Barca, and he breaks that deal to get him to Naples. No one's heard of him. He had one client, Diego Maradona. So he's quite an important figure in terms of football history, I guess. Um, Diego Maradona being Diego Maradona, when he gets to Naples, he feels like, hold on, where's all the money gone? Um, You know, I should have made loads of money. He probably was spending quite a lot of money. He probably bought a lot of people houses and cars and fur coats and whatnot. He suddenly (laughs) says, I'm not happy, I'm skinned fires his agent and gets a second agent called Guillermo Coppola, who's another story altogether. But that's why this footage existed.
0: It's it's rather fitting that this whole process started with two guys, or friends, if you like, talking about football over food. That kind of uh, resonates with us, <laughs> I'm pleased about
1: that. <laughs> it's extraordinary to me, it's, hearing you talk about it and seeing it in the film, Asif, that this had never come to light before. How did it stay hidden for so long? Because we live in an era where we, we feel we get to see behind the scenes with our sporting icons all the time?
2: I think it's twofold. They had the tapes, but probably, I know, didn't have the permission to actually sell them on. And so what my producers had to do is it's not only having access to the tapes and the material, it's actually having a deal with Diego Maradona and his present lawyer, and based in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. And so my producers, only once they'd done that, will we be able, allowed to even use any of the footage. And the thing that helped us was that Maradona was a big fan of the Senna, Ayrton Senna, and he really loved the film Senna. And then as they were negotiating the deal, Amy, my previous film, started winning lots of awards and won an Oscar. So it, that put us in everyone's good books. And so mm-hmm. they were like, fine, we're happy. And my producers would say they did a contract. And honestly, Diego Maradona didn't even look at a the contract. They just signed it and said, fine, deal, done. And then they moved
1: on. That's extraordinary that that you were able to get him on board in that fashion because, you know, we know journalists who would love to spend time with Maradona, sit down and talk to him about his life and his career. And he can be a pretty slippery character in that regard. So was that sort of mutual admiration something that that helped get the film going and and give you the opportunity to put it together?
2: I, I, I assume so because at this point I've had no contact with anyone. I only really get in touch when I know when I know it's real, when I know there's a film. So my producers got the deal with the lawyer, got the deal with the archive. Then the rest of us are left with a kind of mess and the pieces and have to try and figure it out, I guess. What, what I was told is I would have three interviews with Diego, three interviews of three hours in length. Um, so we did a bit of research. We had brilliant archive producers who started digging around, and they went off to naples and started looking at the material and realized you know it's an absolute mess There's a lot of duplicates it looks like a lot of footage but a lot of it is a copy of a copy of a copy and i then said after about four or five months of research the deal was okay i'm going to go and talk to maradona let's see what he's like i don't know what state he's in i knew what most people knew which is that you see stuff in the media so he's living in dubai at that time And he was, there's this kind of giant man-made palm tree that goes out into the sea that a lot of mega wealthy people live on. And he was based out there. We went to his home. I met him four or five times over two years, two and a half years. And all all of the voice that you hear of Diego in the film, every time you hear his voice, that's from our interviews. I essentially got him to talk about, you know, his football, how he got into it, his family, his background, his upbringing, but also, you know, winning the World Cup, the Hand of God, all of the kind of upside winning with Naples, what Naples meant and what Naples' relationship with the rest of Italy, the, the heavy stuff as well, you know, relationships with women, relationships, children that he denied, his relationships with the underworld, drugs, all of that came out of our conversation.
0: I think it's fascinating to, to not only hear, Asif, about how, how you kind of put it together because of, yeah, the elusive nature um, of Diego Maradona, but also, this finding all this archive, so you could actually illustrate it in that kind of narrative form that you that you do with your movies. But also, how interesting it was to see that a story from the 1980s um, and latterly into the 1990s, the early 1990s, has so much resonance today with the with the tribalism of of the fans, particularly obviously in Italy, but those in Argentina as well, concerning his international football. Did you know about the kind of extremes of his life? before you entered into this or did you find that that narrative arc kind of explained itself to you because it makes for the movie that you have essentially a documentary with a narrative arc with a hero at its centre?
2: I mean with, with the other films that I've made that I always try to find characters to start with that have are much bigger than just they're really good at something you know I'm always personally I'm interested in people who are slightly on the edge slightly darker people who are you know, known for fighting against the system. And Maradona had all of these kind of classic elements in his life. The reason why I think he justifies having a film made about him is not just because he was a great footballer, because of all of this stuff he just mentioned that went on in his life, in his private life, off the pitch. No shortage of drama with Diego Maradona. If you're going to make a film, I think you need drama. I knew a bit, but the way I work, I then start from scratch. I literally I start talking to people, I do interviews, Everything comes out of the research. Everything comes out of what we see and what we hear and what people tell us. And so that I don't just kind of like regurgitate maybe some sort of things get printed and they're not true. And then their story kind of develops. And so I wanted to know who was in his life at the time, who was there, who were the key characters, his ex-wife, his children, his trainer Fernando Signorini, who's again another legend that isn't really that well known. Um, his biographer, Daniel Acucci spent 30 years kind of following Diego Maradona around the world. Apart from talking to Diego Maradona himself, it's like people in Naples, people in Argentina. That was the idea was I do a lot of research. We spend, this film took about three years to make. So there's a lot of time where you're waiting for people and piecing it together. So it is a giant jigsaw puzzle, the way these films are made. And it's really the meeting of the footage, which we never know what exists at the beginning. You have an instinct that it'll be out there. Um, together with what comes out of the interviews and somehow piecing it together with the sound, with the music, with all of the elements that somehow makes it feel like a feature film. And also just showing stuff, showing what football used to be like back in the 80s. You know, Italian football was the best football in the world. He goes to a team that's never won anything. What player would do that now? What player would go to a... What great player would go to a team that's about to be relegated and then within three years win a championship in a really tough league? That just wouldn't happen. It was an amazing time. He's never spent more than... He's never spent seven years anywhere in his life since he left um, Argentina. So it was also the place where he was formed, I guess.
0: I've been trying to think, and and Steve Hmm. Steve as well, about a a parallel. It's like, uh, I suppose, a young Messi, but still at the peak of his powers, joining Southampton. Yeah, or, or
1: Mbappe going somewhere. Or, Rather than going to yeah. PSG, Mbappe going to uh, you know, a lower-level a lower Bundesliga side and trying to turn them into Hannover ninety
2: six to rival Bayern <laughs>
1: Munich, wouldn't yeah. it? I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, that's what
2: you're talking about. That's what you're talking about. It is extraordinary. And that's why I think it's special. But not only that, while doing that, winning the World Cup as well, in the best sort of like single-handed one player taking a vaguely average team that has no one thought was going to win anything and winning it. The way he did, you know, who who's done that before? Or since nobody.
1: Is that what makes him so enduring as a football icon? Because if it came to us, and having delved into this as deeply as you have done, and having spent time with the man himself now or more recently, that he has somehow—if you put—if you were putting medals on the table or looking at longevity, longevity of career, other great players have exceeded what he's achieved. Is it the fact that he burnt so brightly for such a brief amount of time? Is that what makes him so enduring a character?
2: For me, yeah, I think I think it's always you can't compete. It's very difficult to compare eras, you can't compare anyone to the players now. Who, in terms of number of trophies and Messi and how many goals and Ronaldo has scored, you know, stats and trophies are one way of looking at humans and characters and people. Then there are people who won one trophy, but they did it in a way, or in his case, two league trophies and a World Cup. who did it in a way that you just think no one's ever done anything like that before or after. In the era when we're around, I guess, I'm of the age where I saw it happening. So it's not like a black and white era that you just hear stories about and there's a few newspaper clippings. We can show it. And in an era when tackling was tackling. they try trying to break your legs. They literally <laughs> broke his ankle. People said his career was over. He came back a few months later and was even better. He doesn't even look like an athlete. You look at his body. How can that guy be the best player in the world? In a time when 15 goals was the top scorer in Italy. 15! That's how hard it was to score a goal. That's the era he played in. So the ball was different. The pitches were different. And he did it. He did it. He delivered. And actually, his career was longer than a lot of people of his era, I guess, you know, because, you know, you have crypt- players were cripples by the age they were 30 sometimes. I think, I think he is an, a unique and special personality. But even then, it's because of the lifestyle off the pitch why I think he endures, why every rock star wants to have a picture taken with him. Every politician around the world wants to be seen with Maradona. He's bigger than football. He's bigger than sport. You know, he is this iconic character.
0: Yeah, and he's bigger than he used to be, certainly physically. It's interesting, if you
2: were to be... He's actually, right now, now he's much healthier. Has he, he, is he weight, shed some weight? his age, yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah, when I saw him, he looked really well.
0: If you're a coach watching some of that tackling, you would basically say, stay on your feet, <laughs> stay on your feet. But he it was, it was
2: so elusive, it was, it was very difficult to do so. It's one of my favourite things, actually, if, you know, having seen the film hundreds of times, is just looking at when he has the ball, how many defenders end up on the floor. Because they just think he's going to go one way and they literally end up on the floor. And when he takes a shot, right from the very first goals that you see him scoring for Boca, right the way through Barcelona, right the way through Naples, players just end up on the floor. The balance, the way he can shift his balance in turn was amazing.
1: That was something that really stuck out for me as as a football fan, the, the footage of the goals that he scored. Because we've seen Messi and Ronaldo's goals countless times from dozens of different angles to see the brilliance of the man from footage that, that really you'd never seen before. Yes, we know, know about the hand of God. We know about the the wonderful goals he scored during that 1986 World Cup. But the quality of some of the finishes during his time with Napoli are extraordinary, aren't they?
2: Really amazing. And actually, you know, we there's only so much you can put in because we're trying to balance someone's life. So it isn't obviously just a load of clips of brilliant moments of playing football. But what's interesting is, You've got to remember, in the 80s, you know, TV coverage, particularly in Italy, was quite simple, big, wide shot from the top of the stand. And what we found with footage with his cameramen, because he had his personal cameraman, they had access to all areas within the stadium in San Paolo. So they're the ones filming these shots from behind the goal, from the side of the pitch. So it may not be like a big moment in the game. But because they were just following him following Maradona essentially with their cameras, we've got these little moments where he's just doing a turn or he's being kicked or he gets tripped or that's where that's where this footage is new. That's where nobody's seen it before. And then obviously the the aim is to make it feel quite cinematic. So you hear the crunching tackles, you really get a sense of the atmosphere. Of what it's like to be in that stadium. I wish I could have seen him play live in the San Paolo.
0: The dark side of his personality is uh, is explored in your movie Asif but also the dark side of the reaction to him and I mentioned earlier on about the, the tribalism that was particularly apt because of the, the nature of the Neapolitans and how they supported their team and Maradona and then didn't but the reaction to him from being a hero and then becoming such a villain that has relevance today doesn't it? We see that with so many sports stars movie stars stars in the public eye that they are raised so high and come crashing down so low is there anybody who did it as significantly as Maradona in that spell that you outline in the movie
2: I mean I can't, I can't think of many people obviously I've, I've made up films about people who died young um, so Amy Winehouse was a very London film and it dealt with certain similar subject matter. Um, Edson Senna died very young, but he was essentially adored and loved and lived his life in a different way. I think with Maradona, it's different because he, he, he tapped into something that Neapolitans needed. They were down, they were mistreated, they felt like from the rest of Italy. They were once this proud kingdom who was now, you know, kind of laughing stock that everyone enjoyed humiliating. And then this guy, who was also kind of quite down at the point because he, he'd not had a good experience in Barcelona. He and Naples are just perfect for one another. And they go on this incredible journey together. He makes them proud. They win. They beat Juventus. They beat Milan. They beat Inter. They, at the time, Verona were great. You know, all these other teams were amazing. And they win their first ever Scudetto and they double it up and they win another one. The turning point is obviously this 1990 World Cup. It's kind of one of those moments where you can't make it up. The idea that Argentina would play against Italy in Italy in the semi-final of the World Cup in the Napoli Stadium. That sequence is really key and pivotal. And all these years, he says to the fans, I've been there for you. I've given you everything. You know, this has become my home. Now Argentina will play in Italy. You know, you might want to think about supporting me. And so he puts kind of Neapolitans in this interesting situation where they feel like Italy has not treated them very well, but they, at their heart, they feel Italian. But on the other hand, he's the guy that's brought them joy, and it's that club v country idea, um, which, which comes to a head with that match. And then, of course, in the end, you know, if you look at it, Italy, whatever happens, happens, but it goes to a penalty shootout, okay? Now, the idea that somehow, since that game, the Italian national team hasn't played in Naples. And since that game, those songs that you hear in the stands being sung about Neapolitans, they're still being sung now. And Italy, somehow, the nation blamed Neapolitans for losing that game. So they were put in a very difficult, complex situation. So now when you go to Naples, they all love Deco But At that point, it came at a point where he hadn't been necessarily behaving himself very well off the pitch. He hadn't been training. He was burning a lot of bridges, and everything kind of turned. The system protected him suddenly says, you know what, you're fair game, and they go for him. And that's that's what we try to show.
0: Every protagonist in a movie, you have to make a decision whether you like them or not. Now, from an English point of view, our general disposition towards uh, Diego Maradona is obviously uh, one of negativity, but even giving the context of who he was and particularly for his country, Argentina, going into that game, you have a certain understanding and it softens your opinion of him with the hand of God. But at the end of this, given that you're showing us everything about his good and his bad, do you want people to, to like Diego Maradona or like him more than they might have done if they were, for example, English and, and not necessarily his biggest fan?
2: I would say, I would say for, for England fans, hardcore England fans, my... my... If you're you're an England fan, I assume you're into football. If you're into football, the idea is to say, well, whatever you may think about one off-match, the guy was one of the best, if not the best footballer, particularly of his generation. And I just want you to understand him. I just want you to know, as as a filmmaker, my job isn't to tell you what to think, but all I'm going to do is show you where he came from, show you what he did, what he achieved, how amazing that period of time when he was at his best was. Within that, there is a very key match against England the context and the backstory for that is a country that was really in a bad way, coming out of really bad dem- kind of democracy was, you know, they had a lot of um, dictators in Argentina and they were economically down. And this idea there's a war between England and there's a war between England and Argentina. And four years later, they're going to be playing in that game. So it's just, I suppose, showing you the context of what it meant to the other side. Um, I just think by the end of it, when you see what he's lived through and how he lived. I just hope people will kind of understand him, respect him, and maybe just feel for him a bit more. But, you know, if you don't, that's fine as well. You don't have to. I just think the, um, the story's an amazing one. And all I would say is I don't think I could have survived what he went through. Coming from where he came from, living how he lived, becoming a god in Naples, how can anyone stay normal at the end of it? So I just want people, I suppose, to have some empathy for, for him, just as a human being. He's a street fighter, though. I would say that one of the things about Street Fighters are they don't, they don't go out there to try and make you like them. They, he's, a, he's someone who, he doesn't really like peace and quiet. He picks a fight wherever he goes. He needs someone to argue with. He needs someone to wind up. And he did that with the English. That's part of the intention. That's how he's always lived his life.
1: I'm quite grateful, actually, that you, it, the, the film contextualises Diego Maradona and there is that empathy there. But as somebody who's real first memory of an injustice in football was that hand of God moment in fact my oldest son is the same age as I was then and I I remember my my dad having to explain to me that these things happen you know and that that the referee wasn't going to change his mind the game wasn't going to get replayed I just have to learn to live with it that I am grateful to you as the filmmaker (laughs) that you didn't try and make me like Diego Maradona any more than I than I would have done, that, but that I could maybe understand a little bit more about him because I will I will never ever get over that moment. <laughs> how, how old are you
2: both now? How old are you? I'm
1: you? You're not allowed to ask me, Asif. I've just had a significant birthday that we're not allowed to talk about. he's significant.
2: Okay, well, we're about similar age. Well, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I, I, I was eight years, eight years old, eight and a half when that happened, and it was oh, brutal. Older than
2: you, so yeah. I mean, I was. I, I mean, look. The, my answer to all of that is. You know, the next time your team plays and, and you get a dodgy penalty, I want everyone to go on about it for the next 30 years, you know, yeah. because you know and I know we take it when it's on our side. I'm a football fan. I've been there. I've been there on both sides. When it happens to us, we don't complain. When it happens against us, we go on about it. But it's a very Latin thing, this idea of us getting England being outfought by Latin teams or even Germans or even the Dutch, the idea of doing something sneaky and winning. And then suddenly, kind of like us go, well, but we're, we're all about fair play. It's not what football is. is about winning. They people, when we win, we don't care. You know, when our players fall over and get a penalty, we don't complain. And that's what happens. What I would say about Maradona, having done so much research, I've seen him do that handball trick five times. It wasn't a one-off. He's done it a few times. The hair is long and curly for a reason. He can hide that hand in there. Three times he got away wave it, and twice he got pulled up for it. But it's not a one-off. You know, he's, he's He's a straight guy. He's a trickster. Football is a game of deceit. That's what It's it's about what they think you're going to do and then you do something else. And that's how he played and that's how he lived. And And all I'm doing is I'm not justifying it. I'm not trying to excuse him. I'm just showing you there is another way of living and existing. You might not want to do it. I might not want to do it. But that's how he lived.
0: How many hands did God have? It would seem five is the answer. Asi, before we let you go, um, we have a soccer story each time on the podcast, as you well know. Um, is there one from your life? Um, do you have a story that you could tell us about your own exploits on the football field that do or do not involve cheating?
2: My, my, the, the nearest I've ever got to any achievement, I mean, my son is much player, much better player than I'll ever be, but I, I'm a regular player. I play by the side every Tuesday. I've been playing, I've been playing for years. I was at the Royal College of Art. I played all my life. I'm one of that generation of I just used to wake up and go out in the street and play, okay? So from the age of three or four, I was playing on the street. We used to break into schools to play in the playground. I grew up in Hackney. We used to play in and Commons. So all my life, I played football. Never been great at it. But even now, however busy I am, we've got family, kids, pressures of work, traveling around the world. Whenever I can, we play football every Tuesday night. So I can tell you about one occasion, which is slightly, slightly work-related, we play 5 a different people from art school, from the business. But what happens is when we play, we never talk to one another. So a few years ago... Um that's what's great about football. You just turn up and you kick a ball around and you run around and you get tired and you sweat and you go home. <laughs> so a few years ago, one of my, my first sort of documentary was a film called Senna. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever seen Senna. Oh, yeah, yes, we Loved know it,
1: Senna. loved it, yeah.
2: So Senna was nominated for a few Bachelor Awards, right? It, it was nominated for, like, Best Documentary, Best British Film and Best Editing. And, and so I went to the Bachelor Awards one Sunday. And while we were there, they, they mentioned the other awards and they had a nomination for Best Short Film. And they mentioned Best Short Film and I'm like, I that's John, I didn't know John was nominated. So a mate that I play football with was nominated and won Best Short <laughs> Film. That's amazing. And then they said, and Best Short Film. Oh, my God. I know him as well. You know, so, so he won as well. And then our film won, won two Bastards for Best Editing and for Best Documentary. So from our five-a-side team that year, that night, we won four Bastard Awards. But none of us even knew the rest of us were nominated because we never talked about it. So I just remember and that's one occasion of football and work come together where we had this team. I just love the fact that none of us knew because when you go there, as Diego says in the film, when you're on the pitch, life goes away. Everything goes away. You know, it's just you and the ball and the people you're playing with. That's what I like about
1: it. I love the idea, Asif, that everyone else is whacking their power league Tuesday night five-a-side <laughs> trophies on the table and you you and your team turn up and whack the BAFTAs on the table. I mean, that's, that's a... Four that, BAFTAs. That's Poor one upmanship.
0: You win. Asif, it's been great for you to come on the podcast and chat to us. We're really, really grateful for your time. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, best of luck with the next one. Cheers. Take care. And that is Asif Kapadia, who um, has already, with his first effort at a soccer story, basically eclipsed anything that Andy Hinchcliffe has uh, managed in more than 130 episodes.
1: Well, he certainly has more awards and accolades <laughs> than Chinch <laughs> managed Chinch to Council agree. counts
0: Community Shield, remember, so... <laughs> BAFTA, Community
1: Shield, Oscar, FA Cup winner's medal. It's difficult to say.
0: Um, So we're very grateful to Asif Kapadia for spending all that time with us. He is a listener. He enjoyed the fact that we were able to uh, provide him with absolutely no food uh, during the conversation. He was in London. We weren't. Uh, But I did tell him about the fact that we had Hershey bars. He was most unimpressed. In fact, nearly as unimpressed as Steve is right now as he makes his way through his seventh or eighth. Um, Asif Kapadia helping us to understand how it all came together. One of the things that I know, Steve, that you got out of the movie is the fact that players like Neymar now are going through something that Diego Maradona went through, as we are now able to see in full Technicolor glory, about how our footballing icons are treated and it's, it's crazy how the, the, the Neymar situation really quite recently mirrors up what, what happened to, uh, to Diego Maradona as his relationships with Italy, with Naples, started to collapse around
1: him. It certainly made me think more about the expectations that we put upon our footballing icons, the understanding of what they go through away from the, the glare of the spotlight, whether that was Maradona in the 1980s or the likes of Messi, Ronaldo and Neymar right now. And also the kind of people that hover in the the fringes of their lives there to take advantage of them, to try and make something of their own existences vicariously through that footballer. And perhaps we all need to just take a little bit of a step back and appreciate the people behind these geniuses and to accept that with that genius probably comes some character flaws as well. So not to put these footballers up on a pedestal and then at the first sign of things turning a little bit sour to to pull that pedestal away from underneath them.
0: And as his personal trainer says in the movie there is a Diego and there is a Maradona and sometimes you have to have the Maradona to cope with what Diego is going through and that might be the case for all manner of footballers. Yes, I'm just trying to remember
1: which way round was it where he said that uh, everywhere Diego goes Maradona goes as well but everywhere Maradona goes he's dragging Diego with him.
0: Almost a moral to the story Stephen. Uh, Beautifully put. Uh, Once again uh, the Uh, Film Diego Maradona is in cinemas now. We hope you like it as much as we did. And it's so fitting uh, to see a documentary made to look like a movie. And that is Asif Kapadia's style. It's what he's so successful at. But also, if there ever was a hero or anti-hero for a movie whose life played out like a movie script, it turns out that it was and is Diego Maradona.
1: The greatest challenge of our lives could be to try and get Chinch to watch a film that has subtitles. And Rory won't need much persuading, but I'm not sure we're going to get Chinch today.
0: doesn't need the subtitles. Rory can just translate it. He's fluent in Spanish. Chinch, fluent in nothing other than football. If you have a soccer story like Chinch has so often given us and Asif Kapadia has now as well, please send them to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also get in touch via Twitter or Facebook. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you uh, to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, thank you to Steve and to Asif and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed and one hopes, a little bit more on time.
1: i better go and rescue the kids. I'm pretty sure they'll have exhausted every single episode of Thunderbirds currently available via ITV catch-up.
0: Are they five minutes and no longer? Oh, no,
1: no, they're 30 minutes, but what concerns me is just how long they've been in there with access to the remote control and no supervision whatsoever.